Welcome to Commentaries on the Book of the Prophet Jeremiah and the Lamentations by John Calvin, Volume 1. We are continuing to read at page 146 for this reading, which is Lecture 10. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival's Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, give yourself to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers, and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now to SWRB's reading of Commentaries on the Book of the Prophet Jeremiah and the Lamentations by John Calvin, Volume 1, which we hope you find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by him. John 14.6 Lecture 10 Verse 36 Why gaddest thou about so much to change thy way? Thou also shalt be ashamed of Egypt, as thou wast ashamed of Assyria. The prophet goes on with the same subject. He had said before that the people were like an unfaithful wife, who, having left her husband, rambles here and there to gratify her lust. For this view, he now gives the reason, for he might have appeared to treat the people too severely had not the fact been pointed out, as it were, by the finger. And this he does now. He says that they ran here and there, not in a common manner, but in a way to render evident their shameful levity, such as seen in strumpets who, without any shame, seek either adulterers or fornicators. But I have already briefly shown what the prophet means. When any danger was nigh, the Jews sought aid, now in Egypt, then in Assyria. Yet they knew this was forbidden them, not that it was in itself an evil or a bad thing to seek help from neighbors, but because it was God's will that the safety and security of that people should be dependent on him only, for he had taken them under his safeguard. As then the Jews were God's dependents, they ought to have acquiesced in his protection. When they wandered here and there, it was an evidence of unbelief, and what they attributed to the Egyptians or to Assyrians, they took away from their own God, who had promised that their safety would be the object of his care. Hence, he compares these movements to wanton levity. They were like those of strumpets, who who ramble in all directions. Now, a strumpet must be wholly shameless when she thus seeks the gratification of her lust. For harlots often wait for the coming of lovers, but when they ramble everywhere, they are altogether abominable. This, then, is what the prophet now means, that is, that the Jews ran here and there, and thus it was that they changed their way. There remains indeed often in harlots some natural love, but it is a proof of a brutish, shameless, and monstrous lust when a woman seeks the company of anyone she may see, or when a man lusts after any woman he may meet with. When there is such a shamelessness as this, it appears that no modesty remains, nor even what is natural. 
For as I have already said, it ought to be deemed monstrous when a woman is inflamed with lust at the sight of anyone. And yet this lewdness is what the prophet reprobates in the Jews when he says that they ran here and there to change their way, so that their love never continued, but they lusted after any they met with. Nay, they went here and there to allure them. This subject is spoken of oftener and more at large by Ezekiel. And we shall find this comparison used also in other parts of this book. But it is enough for me to mention briefly the design of the prophet. Footnote. The idea of gadding or of running here and there is not countenanced, countenanced by any of the early versions. The notion of vileness or degradation is what the versions convey. The Vulgate is, mm, How extremely worthless art thou become, ittering thy ways. The other versions are nearly of the same general import. Blaney's version is, Why wilt thou make thyself exceedingly vile in repeating over again thy ways? Modern critics have considered the verb to be non-English word and not non-English word. In no doubt, maybe either. As shame is threatened at the end of the verse, the latter verb is the most suitable. Why shouldest thou become wholly degraded by repeating thy course? Even by Egypt shalt thou be put to shame, as thou hast been put to shame by Assyria. Course, or way, means here a proceeding, and and to repeat it is to pursue a course similar to what had been previously adopted. Editor. End footnote. He then adds, Ashamed shalt thou be also be of the Egyptians, as ashamed thou hast been of the Assyrians. Before the time of Hezekiah, the Jews had made a treaty with the Assyrians against the Syrians and the Israelites, as it is well known, and then against the Egyptians. For soon after a war arose between them and the Egyptians, who had been their confederates in changing their policy, they went for help to Assyria. They afterwards reconciled themselves to their ancient enemies, but the second treaty also turned out unhappily. Hence, the prophet says that the end would be the same with what they had before experienced. God had indeed chastised their ungodly defection when they went to Assyria. He now says that no better success would attend the help of the Egyptians than what attended the help of the Assyrians. The Jews, we know, were ever subjected to plunder, and suffered more loss from their associates than from their open enemies. It was the just reward of their impiety and defection. God then declares that he would be the avenger of the second defection, as he had been of the former. It follows. Verse 37. Yea, thou shalt go forth from him, and thine hands upon thine head. For the Lord hath rejected thy confidences, and thou shalt not prosper in them. He expresses more clearly what he had said of the shameful character of his own nation, that the Jews, who thought that their safety would be secured by the Egyptians, were seeking their own entire ruin. This seemed to them indeed incredible, for as the Egyptians were neighbors, and as the Jews then only feared the Assyrians and Chaldeans, who were afar off, they thought that they had the best prospect. What? Our enemies are distant from us twenty or thirty days' journey. And those who are prepared to help us will be soon with us at the shortest warning. Hence, the Jews thought, as we have said, that they were quite safe. But, the prophet here declares that they were greatly mistaken. For on account of this wickedness, that is, 
because they trusted in their lawful and accursed treaty and promised themselves peace from their enemies or thought that they should easily overcome them, on this account, he says, thou shalt go forth. But nothing could have been less credible to the Jews than what the prophet said. For as the Egyptians opposed themselves in, as a wall against the Chaldeans and were deemed unassailable, who could have otherwise thought but that the Jews could be preserved quiet in their own country? But he says, Go forth, shalt thou, and thine hands on thy head. Footnote. There are three other expositions of the words rendered by Calvin on this account. One is that of our version, from him. The second is from hence, that is, from Egypt, adopted by Piscator, Grotius, and Blaney. And the third is from here, that is, from this place, their own land, which, as Gadiger says, is probably the genuine sense. It is a threatening that they were to be led into captivity. The rendering of the Septuagint is non-English word from hence or from this place. Of the Vulgate, ab ista from that, meaning evidently Egypt. Of the Syriac and Targum, ex hoc from this, and of Arabic, ilink from this. I'm sorry, from thence. The participle non-English word is this and not that editor and footnote by this gesture he means extreme despair for women did either strike or extend their arms when any great calamity happened as we see it done often in the present day for when a woman not able to keep within due bounds either loses a husband or expects some very great calamity she beats her breast or raises up her hands according to what is said here Jeremiah then mentions this gesture as an evidence of extreme despair, as though he had said, The treaty which fills the Jews with so much confidence shall be so far from being advantageous to them that it will, on the contrary, bring on them utter ruin and disgrace. Footnote. The gesture mentioned here, a striking example of, we find in Second, uh, second Samuel 13.9, Many consider the non-English word here as having the meaning of with and render the line as Blaney does, with thy hands upon thy head. But more consistent with the genius of the advantage is to regard the auxiliary verb to be understood and thy head shall be on thy head. There is a similar phrase in Isaiah 35.10 which ought to be rendered thus, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Editor. And footnote. But the reason which follows ought especially to be observed, because abhor does Jehovah thy confidences. The prophet here shows why he had spoken so severely. It might have appeared that he spoke hyperbolically when he said that the people were like an abandoned harlot who rambled here and there in all directions. But the reason here given ought to have been sufficient to take away all evasions, and that is that they foolishly trusted in those fallacious hopes which they knew were condemned by God. Had this been permitted by God, they would not have been so severely reprimanded, but as God had forbidden them to flee to the Egyptians, it was in the first place a disallowed confidence, and in the second place, they thus despised the aid of God, and cast aside, as it were, all his promises. For as their hearts were fixed on the Egyptians, and as they thought that their safety would be secured by them, so their prayer to God became not only cold, but almost wholly extinguished. 
We hence see that the prophet did not exceed due limits when he spoke against the Jews with so much displeasure and condemned them in his such in such reproachful terms, for they had transferred the glory due to God to the Egyptians when they considered them to be the authors of their safety, and they had thus despised the promises of God so that there was no attention given to prayer. Abhor then does Jehovah thy confidences. Footnote. The verb for abhor is non-English word, which means to reject, that is, with disdain and contempt, and the same when followed by another non-English word, though often rendered despise in our version. It is rendered reject without the second non-English word in 1 Samuel 15.23, Jeremiah 7.29, and despise being followed by that same second non-English word, um in Jeremiah 4.30. The early versions in the Targum mostly differ, and none of them give the specific meaning of the verb, except that the Septuagint give its meaning when not followed by that same second non-English word, has rejected. The whole verse may be thus rendered. Verse 37. Also from this place shalt thou go forth, and thy hands shall be on thy head. For rejected has Jehovah those in whom thou trustest, and thou shalt not prosper by them. It is not correct to render non-English word thy confidences, for the word means thy confided ones, it being a hooful participle. The Syriac renders it those who afford thee confidence. Delaney's version is the objects of thy trust, and he translates the verb, the verb reprobated. That this is its meaning when followed by non-English word is evident from chapter 630. Editor. End footnote. He then adds, Thou shalt not prosper in them. It ought to be carefully observed that whatever we resolve to do that is not approved by God cannot possibly succeed, for God will subvert all our hopes. Let us then know that here is set before us the punishment of all believers who being not content with God's protection, wander after vain and false objects of trust and prefer to have men propitious to them rather than God himself. Now follows chapter 3, verse 1. They say, If a man put away his wife, and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, Yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Many regard this verse as connected with the last, and thus read them connectedly. God hates false confidences, because he says, But this seems not to me to be suitable, for Jeremiah brings before us here a new subject, that God seeks to be reconciled to his people, according to what a husband does, who desires to receive into favor an unchaste wife and is ready to grant her full pardon and to take her again as a chaste and faithful wife. This verse, then, cannot be connected with the foregoing, in which, as we have seen, the people are condemned. The word, non-English word, L-A-M-E-R, means the same, as I think, as when we say in French, par manière de dire, de dire or as when it is commonly said, suppose a case. For the prophet does not here introduce God as a speaker, but lays before us a common subject with this preface. 
L-A-M-E-R, lamer, that is, be it so that a man divorces his wife and she become allied to another husband, can she again return to her first husband? This is not un- this is not usually done, but I will surpass whatever kindness there may be among men, for I am ready to receive thee, provided thou wilt in future observe conjugal fidelity and part with thy adulter- adulteries and adulterers. Footnote. The word at the beginning of this verse has puzzled most, the form being so unusual. It is left out by the Septuagint, the Syriac, and the Arabic. The Vulgate has vulgo dicitur, it is commonly said. But non-English word means at times according to, and it may so be rendered here, according to what is said, if a man sends away his wife, and she goes from him and becomes another man's, is he to return to her again? Polluted shall it not be polluted, even that land? But thou hast played a harlot with many friends, yet return to me, saith Jehovah. The particle, um, non-English word, and the first line is Chaldi for non-English word. It is so rendered by the Targum and the early versions. The pronoun non-English word, after land, cannot be rendered as Calvin proposes. It agrees in gender with land. It is singular that the Septuagint, the Vulgate, and the Arabic have woman instead of land. Yet the Syriac and Targum retain land, but in them all this pronoun is construed with the noun. Gadiker takes land here, and in Deuteronomy 24.4, as meaning the state, the community, and refers to Numbers 35.33, Isaiah 24.5. Editor and footnote. As to the main point, there is here no ambiguity, for God shows that he would be reconciled to the Jews, provided they proceeded not obstinately in their sinful courses. But in order to set forth more fully his mercy, he uses a comparison which must be a little more attentively considered. He had before said that he felt the place of a husband, that the people occupied the station of a wife, and then he complained of the base perfidy of the people who had forsaken him and said that they had acted like a wife who, having despised her husband, prostituted herself in, to such adulterers as might, as might happen to meet her. But he, ne- he now adds, Behold, if a man dismisses his wife, and she becomes the wife of another, he will never receive her again. And this is forbidden by law. But I am ready, he says, to receive thee, though I had not given thee the usual divorce at my pleasure, as husbands are wont to do, who repudiate their wives, when there is anything displeasing in them. It is not a simple comparison, as many think. I know not whether I'll think so, for I have not read any who seem to understand the true meaning. For God does not simply compare himself to, to a husband who has repudiated his wife for adultery, but as I've already said, there are here two causes. The Jews were then wont to divorce their wives even for slight causes, and for no cause at all. Now, God speaks thus by Isaiah. Show me the bill of your mother's divorcement, Isaiah 1.1, 1, 1, as though he had said, I have not repudiated your mother. For if anyone then departed from his wife, the law compelled him to take some, some blame on himself. For what was the bill of divorcement? It was a testimony to the wife's chastity. For if anyone was found guilty of adultery, there was no need of divorcement, as it was a capital crime. Leviticus 20.10, Deuteronomy 22.22. 22, 22. Hence, adulteresses, 
were not usually divorced. But if any woman had conducted herself faithfully towards, his, towards her husband, and he wished to repudiate her, the law constrained him to give her the bill of divorcement. I repudiate this wife, not because she hath broken or violated a bond of marriage, but because her manners are not agreeable, because her beauty does not please me. Thus the husbands were then commanded to take some of the blame on themselves. Hence the Lord says by Isaiah, Show me the bill of your mother's divorcement, as though he said, She has departed from me, she has broken the bond of marriage by her fornication, fornications. I am not then in fault for being alienated from you. God then does not mean in this place that he had divorced the people, for this would have been wrong, would have been wrong and unlawful, and could not have been consistent with the character of God. But as I have already said, there is here a twofold comparison. Though a husband shall, should fastidiously send away his wife, and she through his fault should be led to contract another marriage, and become the partner of another, as though in contempt of him, he could hardly ever bear that indignity and become reconciled to her. But ye have not been repudiated by me, but are like a perfidious woman who shamefully prostitutes herself to all whom she may meet with, and yet I am ready to receive you and to forgive all your base conduct. We now then understand the import of the words. In the second clause, there is a comparison made from the less to the greater, for the return into favor would have been easier if the repudiated wife had afterwards become acceptable to him, though she became the wife of another. But when an adulteress finds her husband so willing of himself and ready to grant free pardon, it is certainly an example not found among mortals. Thus we see that God, by an argument from the less to the greater, enhances his goodness towards the people in order to render the Jews the less excusable for rejecting so pertinaciously of a, a favor freely offered to them. But it may be asked why the prophet says, By pollution shall not this land be polluted, or through this? I shall speak first of the words, and then refer to the subject. Almost all give this version, Is not that land by pollution polluted? But I know not what sense we can elicit by such a rendering, except it may be that God compares a divorced wife to the land, or that he, by an abrupt transition, transfers to the land what he had said of a divorced wife, or rather that he explains the metaphor which had been used. If this sense be approved, then the copulative which follows must be rendered as a causative, which all have rendered ad uh, adversatively and rightly too, but thou. I then prefer to read non-English word, E-E-I-A, by itself by this, that is, when a wife returns again to her husband, after having married another, for the law, as we have said, forbade this, and the husband must have become an adulterer if he took again the wife whom he had repudiated. Liberty was granted to women by divorce, not the divorce by, was, by God was allowed, but as the women were innocent, they were released, for God imputed the fault to the husbands. And when the repudiated wife married another man, the second marriage was considered legitimate. If then the first husband sought to recover the wife whom he had divorced, he violated the bond of the second marriage. For this reason, and according to this sense, the prophet says that the land would, be, would by this become polluted, as though he had said, it is not lawful for husbands to take back their wives, however ready they may be to forgive them. But I require no other thing but your return to me. 
As to the words, we now see that the prophet does not say without reason, by this, that is, when a woman unites herself to one man and then to another, and afterwards returns to her first husband, for society would thus be torn asunder, and also the sacred bond of marriage, the main thing in the preservation of social order, would be broken. It is added, But thou hast played the harlot with many companions. Footnote. The Septuagint, the Syriac, and the Arabic have by a mistake rendered the word pastors or shepherds, but the Vulgate has lovers, which our version and Blaney have adopted. But the word means companions, friends, intimates, neighbors. Gattaker renders it mates. Editor. End footnote. <coughs> what we have before observed is here confirmed, that the people had been guilty not only of one act of adultery, but that they were become like common strumpets who prostitute themselves to all without any difference, and this is what will be presently stated. Those whom he calls companions or friends were rivals. He says, Yet return to me, saith Jehovah, by which he intimidated, sorry, to which he intimated, uh, pardon is ready for thee, provided thou repentest. An, ad- an objection may, however, be here raised. How could God do what he had forbidden in his law? The answer is obvious. No other remedy could have been given to preserve order in society when men were allowed to repudiate their wives, except by adding this restraint, as a proof that God did not favor their levity and changeableness. It was thus necessary for the interest of society to punish such men as were too morose and rigid by withholding from them the power of recovering their wives whom they had dismissed. It might otherwise have been that one changed his love the third day, or in a month, or in a year, and demanded his life. God then intended to put this restraint on divorce, so that no man who had put away his wife could take her again. But the case is very different as to God himself. It is therefore nothing strange that he claims for himself the right of being reconciled to the Jews on their repentance. It follows, verse 2. Lift up thine eyes unto the high places, and see where thou hast not been lean with. In the ways hast thou sat for them, as the Arabian in the wilderness, and thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. As the prophet had charged the Jews with being wanton in a loose and promiscuous manner, as it is the case with abandoned women after having cast away all shame, that they might not evade the charge and object, that they were not conscious of any crime. He makes them in a manner the judges themselves. Raise up, he says, thine eyes to the high places and see. That is, I would bring forth, I bring forward witnesses sufficiently known to thee. There is no hill in the land where thou hast not been connected with idols. We have already said, and we shall find the same thing often mentioned by this prophet, that superstitions are doomed idolatries by God. But it was a customary thing with the Jews to ascend high places as though they were nearer to God. This is the reason why the prophet bids them to turn their eyes to all the hills. See, he says, whether is there, whether is there any hill free from my fornications. For as strumpets seek hiding places to perpetrate their obscenities, so the Jews sought hills as their brothels. And thus their impiety was the more execrable as they went forth openly, and especially as they wished their flagitious acts, flagitious, flagitious, 
axe could be seen at a distance, ascending as they did elevated places. But strumpets, having found adulterers or paramours, are wont to seek some secret retreats. The prophet then cuts off from the Jews every occasion for evading the charge when he bids them to raise up their eyes to the high places. For when they prostrated themselves before their idols, it was the same as when strumpets commit acts of adultery. And he adds that they sat by the ways as the Arabian in the desert. He again repeats what we have what we have before observed, that the Jews were not led away by the enticement of others to violate the conjugal pledge which they had given to God, but were, on the contrary, moved by their own wantonness, so that they of themselves sought base and filthy gratifications. He had before said, Thou hast corrupted others by thy wickedness, and now he confirms the same. Thou hast sat, he says, by all the ways. This also is what is done by vile strumpets, who, as it has been said, have lost all shame. But the prophet enhances this crime by another comparison. As an Arabian in the desert, who lies in wait for travelers, that he may rob and kill them, thus hast thou sat by the ways. Footnote. Gadiker suggests another idea, that the reference is made to the Arabian traders who fix their tents in the wilderness to wait for the merchants. Blaney renders the lines differently. Lift up thine eyes upon the plains, and see, where hast thou not been defiled in the highways? Thou hast sat waiting in them like an, like an Arabian in the desert. To render non-English word, open plains, is without authority. It means craggy eminences or elevated places. See Numbers 23.3, Jeremiah 14.6. The division, too, is arbitrary. The ways, or highways, connects better with the following verb, and non-English word is not in them, but to or for them. That is, her lover is mentioned in a preceding verse. Our version is the most suitable with which that of Calvin corresponds. Arabian is rendered crow by the Septuagint, the Syriac, the Arabic. Robber of the, by the Vulgate, but Arabian by the Targum. It is true that the word for a crow is from the same root, but I-O-D-E-O-D attached to it shows it to be a proper name. Where the Vulgate got the word robber, it is hard to know. Editor. End footnote. We then see here a double comparison, one taken from strumpets, who having in time past made a gain when they find themselves neglected, besiege the ways and offer themselves to any they may meet with. This is the first comparison. The other is that they were like robbers who lie in wait for travelers, as though he had said that the Chaldeans and Egyptians were excusable when compared with the Jews, because they had been drawn by their wicked arts into illicit treaties, like a traveler who, passing by, is, enti- is enticed by a robber. What art thou but a helpless man? But if thou joinest me and, and engagest to be my companion, there is the best prospect of gain, and new spoils will fall into our hands daily. Such a robber is twice and three times more wicked than the other. So also the prophet says of the Jews that they were like old robbers who had become hardened in intrigues, in plunders, and in every kind of wickedness, and had enticed to themselves both the Egyptians and the Assyrians. It afterwards follows. Verse 3. Therefore, the showers have, the showers have been withholden, and there hath been no latter rain, and thou hast a whore's forehead. Thou refusest to be shamed. 
Jeremiah proceeds with his severe reproof that the Jews were wholly given to wickedness, for they had altogether devoted themselves to superstitions and also to unlawful alliances, and had in both instances despised God. He now shows how great and how strong was their obstinacy. Restrained, he says, have been the reins. There has not been the latter reign, yet the front of a harlot had been thine, as though he had said that the Jews had not in any degree been subdued by punishment. It was a most atrocious wickedness to give no ear to pious warnings when the prophets continually cried to them and endeavored to restore them to the right way, that they thus hardened themselves against the addresses of the prophets was a proof of the greatest impiety. But God tried also to restore them to to himself by punishments, and those were very heavy. He punished them with sterility and the draught by which the prophet speaks, of which the prophet speaks, was no doubt so uncommon that the Jews might perceive, had they a particle of a sound mind, that God was at war with them. It often happens that not a drop of rain falls from heaven, for we see that many we see that many summers are hot and dry. There is no doubt but that God then reminds us of our sins and exhorts us to repent. But as familiarity makes us to overlook God's judgments, he sometimes punishes us in a new and unusual manner. I doubt not then, but that the prophet, by saying, Restrained have been reigns from them, refers to some extraordinary instance of God's vengeance, whereby the Jews might have perceived, except that they were extremely besotted, that God was opposed to and displeased with them. Footnote. It is usual to render the non-English word before restrained. Therefore, but the sentence will read better, connected as it was, as it is with the latter part of the previous verse, by giving it its most common meaning. And restrained have been the showers, and the latter rain has not been. Yet the front of a wanton woman hast thou had, thou hast refused to be made ashamed. This last verb is in the infinitive hoofle. It means in hillful to make ashamed, and then in hoofle to be made ashamed. The targum expresses the general sense of the last line, Thou hast been willing to humble thyself. The rest of the verb is rendered almost literally. The Septuagint and the Arabic wander very far from the Hebrew. The Vulgate is a literal version, and the Syriac is nearly so, only it connects wickedness in the last verse with restraint. Thus, And for thy wickedness have been restrained the Jews, and it is not improbable that this was the original reading. Editor. End footnote. The import of what is said is that the Jews had not only run here and there through a mad impulse according to their own wills and inclinations, but that they had also been checked by evident judgments, since God had from heaven openly showed himself to be the vindicator of his own glory, and as there had been so great a a drought that it appeared clear that the curse of the law had been fulfilled towards them. I will make heaven iron to you and the earth brass. Leviticus 26.19 As to the latter rain, we have said elsewhere that by this word is meant the rain which falls just before harvest, and it is called latter with reference to the harvest. For as there is great heat in these in those eastern parts, they want rain before the harvest commences. The extreme heat of the sun would otherwise scorch up the grain. Hence, they especially look for the latter rain, which comes shortly before harvest time. 
The other rain in September and October is called, on account of the sowing time, a seasonable rain, for it soaks and moistens the seed, that it may strike roots and, and gather vigor and strength. <clears throat> the object is to show that God had from heaven given to the Jews manifest tokens of his displeasure, and yet without any benefit, for they had the front of a harlot and felt no shame, that is, they were moved by no judgments of God, and could not bear to be corrected. Prayer Grant, Almighty God, that as Thou hast been once pleased not only to adopt us as Thy children, but also to unite us to Thyself by the bond of marriage, and to give us a pledge of the sacred union in Thine only begotten Son, O grant that we may continue in the faith of Thy gospel, and so honestly keep the pledge given to Thee, that Thou mayest also show Thyself to us as a husband and as a father and that we may to the end find in thee that merciful kindness which is needful to retain us in the holy fear of thy name, until we shall at length enjoy fellowship with thee in thy celestial kingdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail order, our complete mail order catalog, containing classics and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list, so once you send us your email address, you will be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the new free Reformation resources, free MP3s free electronic books and text, etc. SWRB makes available on the web as well as other, as well as at times to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends, but we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message, including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah 26.3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians 13.11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you.